What's up, City Church? I am so excited to be with you this morning. My name is Matt Cordova. I'm the senior pastor of a church in the little bitty town of Panhandle, Texas. And I just want you to know, like, I'm honored that I get to chase Jesus with you guys today. Um, You know, last year I got to come and be a part of the Friends series. I think if you get to come once, you're a friend. And if you're invited twice, you're family. So I feel like you guys are my family. Uh, I've gotten to watch you guys online, see the amazing things that you guys are doing. And I just want to take a second and tell you how thankful I am for your pastor, right? Uh, I love Pastor Clayton. We love uh, Darby as well. They've just been people that have spoken into our lives. We've gotten to laugh together. Uh, I've gotten to talk to Pastor Clayton about just some things that I've gone through in my short time as a senior pastor. So I just know you guys have an amazing senior pastor, an amazing and creative team, and you guys are doing uh, big things. Now, today, when we when we look at what we're going to talk about, like I, I think it's something that we often overlook. Like what I want to talk about today is something that is mass distributed. It's something that we use all the time, but I think we often forget the impact of it. Today, I want to talk to you about words, right? So if you look at the Bible, we understand that words are extremely powerful. How do we know that? Because in the beginning, the Bible says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But how did he create those things? He created them by speaking. We know he said, let there be light, and light was invited. And then we look around and we're like, God said, let there be birds in the sky, and let there be animals all over the earth, and let there be fish in the sea. So everything that we see was created by a spoken word. Everything except for you and me. Actually, I love this because in the creation story, we see that God actually put his hands on humanity, that he formed them, and then he breathed life into us. But because God created the world the world with words, I think we have to understand that words are extremely important, and they actually carry more weight to them. Now, if you look at the time period that we live in, words are easy to use. You know, back in the day, um, I was giving one of our students a hard time this week because she saw somebody she was interested in. They thought She thought this guy was cute, so instead of going and asking for a phone number or something like that, she tried to airdrop her Snapchat. Right? That's the time period that we live in. Like, it's so much easier to communicate or distribute information just because we have things like airdrops and iPhones and computers and emails, right? But back in the day, you know, um, if I wanted to have a conversation or wanted to say something, I either, either had to write a letter or I had to talk to somebody face to face. And now I can actually have a face to face conversation with somebody halfway across the world but, uh, through FaceTime or Google Duo. Um, I can have a conversation with somebody without even looking at their face through text messaging or email, or I can post how I feel and my thoughts and opinions on any kind of social media outlet like Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. How many of y'all remember MySpace? Huge shout out to MySpace, right? So words are all over the place. So if you got a Bible, open it up to Proverbs chapter 18. And if you like to work ahead, we're also going to be in James chapter 3. While you're turning there, just some information. Proverbs was written by Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever walk the earth. And and I think he's writing this to his son, because in the first eight chapters, he's like, son, pay attention to what I'm saying. And, And don't neglect what your mom is teaching you as well. Proverbs is what's known as wisdom literature, right? It's, it's how we grow in wisdom. As the wisest man, he's passing down wisdom to his son. And this is what Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says. 
This, I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. It says, your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life. And the talkative person will reap the consequences. Your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life. And the talkative person will reap the consequences. Hey, right where you are, turn to your neighbor and say, watch your mouth. Or you can comment down below in the comment section. Before we move on, let's pray. So dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the ability to gather even if it is online because we know that you still move, that you still are changing people's lives. So come and meet us where we are. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now, to let you into my life, today's a very exciting day for me and, and my wife, Alexis. Today, we are actually celebrating six years of marriage. It's our sixth anniversary. And, and realistically, I'm celebrating the fact that she has not wiped me out yet, right? We've gone through some amazing things. We've seen God do some awesome things in our life. And we've also seen God deliver us from some pretty big struggles and some pretty big hardships. But we, you know, one of the things that I would say that I've learned the most in the last six years is I need to watch what I say. Like, I need to watch how sarcastic I can be with my wife. I'm a sarcastic person, and many times um, I get in trouble by the things that I say. In fact, me, the secretary that I have at our church, me and her are jokingly writing a book about things not to say to your spouse, and we're pretty sure we're 46 chapters in. We're way in there. So what I want to do today is give you things not to say to your spouse, give you situations uh, that I've walked through where you would not walk in the same footsteps as me. So when we had gotten married, you know, we'd gotten married pretty young. I was 24, about to be 25. My wife was 18, about to be 19. And we got married in June, June 7th, right? And our birthdays are in August. I'm August 25th. She's August 30th. We have a son who's about to be three in August. So pray for us financially because August is a busy month. But when we grew up, like birthdays were a big thing for us. We look forward to birthdays, right? We love to celebrate them. They were awesome. But when my wife talked about how they celebrated birthdays, she made it seem like it was like this week long festival. So she didn't get like birthdays. She got like birth weeks, right? So me, I'm about to be 25. I'm excited because my car insurance is about to go down. Don't overlook the small things. I'm super pumped. I'm about to save money. We just got married. That means that we can go do more things, right? My wife is 18, about to be 19. And I remember we were laying in bed one morning and she woke up. She said, hey, babe, so what are we going to do for my 19th birthday? And this is what you don't want to say. Right? I looked at her and I said, hey, I mean, we may go out to eat or we'll do, you know, hang out, but we're not going to do anything big. And she looked at me. She said, why aren't we going to do anything big? I said, because nothing cool happens when you turn 19. Like there's not a cool thing that happens. 19 is just a birthday. If, if you were turning 21, maybe we would do something big, but nothing cool happens when you turn 19. Obviously, that conversation didn't go the direction that I wanted it to that morning, right? Another situation was we were pregnant with our, our baby boy, and at the time we were living in a one-bedroom apartment, and we have a dog that is part Great Dane. So he's a massive dog, and we're praying, you know, do we want to rent a house? Do we want to buy a house? But either way, we're trying to find ways to save money. We know that we need to get something bigger. So she goes to work one day and it was my day off. So I start, I'm the budget guy of our family. I start looking at ways that we can cut and ways that we can save. So I'm like, cell phone, let's start with our cell phone. We were with Sprint at the time. So I called them. I'm like, Hey, this is what's going on in our life. 
Uh, we're having to expand. We need to find ways to save money. Do you have anything that we can do to save money in this area? And the lady was like, yeah, we have this awesome promotion going on, right? We have unlimited text, unlimited data, and you get 10 gigs of hotspot. Now me, I'm excited. Right, because all we had at the time was unlimited text and unlimited data. When we got Hotspot, I was like, we are gonna get more for less money. Sign us up, that's what we're gonna do, right? Well, for some reason, Sprint sends my wife an email and it says, hey, thank you for switching your phone plan and staying with Sprint, right? So she comes home from work and she goes, hey babe, did you change our phone plan? I looked at her, I said, yes ma'am, I did. She goes, so? Were you not gonna talk to me about that? Were we not gonna make that decision together? And this is what you don't wanna say. I looked at her, uh, I, I remember looking at her straight in the face. I said, babe, it doesn't matter. It was the right choice. It doesn't matter. It was the, like I got in so much trouble after saying that here's some, this is not in my notes, this is extra, it's free. Uh, when it comes to marriage, it doesn't matter if the decision is right, if the process is wrong, you may end up in a fight. The process matters, right? But in both of these situations, uh, I got in trouble or we got into disputes and I ended up walking in the consequences of the things that I said. Now, I'm a person, I like to look at statistics, I like numbers, so I, I looked up um, how many words does the average person use on a daily basis? Now, there was a study in 2003 uh, where this study concluded that men speak about 7,000 words a day and women speak about 20,000 words a day, <laughs> easily over double, and all the men are like, yeah, I heard that, right? Um, I had a lady uh, tell me one time that the only reason that women use twice as many words is because men don't listen the first time, right? Um, but in that, I found out that that study wasn't very accurate. So they did another study in 2007, and they found and they found out that it didn't matter whether it was male or female that the average person uses 16,000 words a day. The average person uses 16,000 words a day. Now I want to keep that in mind, but I want to ask this question: So what happens if most of those words are gossip? What happens if most of those 16,000 words that I'm using every day are, are bad-mouthing some, uh, somebody else or speaking bad about somebody else or spreading lies about somebody else? What happens if those words are negative or they're divisive or they're destructive? Now, let me reread that scripture again. Proverbs 18:21. it says, Your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life, and the talkative person will reap the consequences. Now, where I grew up, like many times, people just recognize the first part of this, this text, right? Maybe you've heard the statement, speak life. And everything you do, you're supposed to speak, speak life, right? And the truth is, is your words have the power of life and death. Your, your words have the power to give life or to take life. But many times, we miss the second part of this text that says that you are going to experience the consequences of the things that you say. This is not a separate thought. This is a continuation of the original thought that your words have, your words matter, your words mean things. So I want to bring this to light. What you say about you, when you think about how you speak about you, you are going to suffer the consequences of those things, right? I, there's a, a quote that I love. It says that the invisible kingdoms inside of people eventually become the visible kingdoms around them. What does that mean? It means what I allow into my heart, what I allow into my inner being, I will create 
around me. Many times the things that we speak over ourselves that are not in alignment with what God says about you are negative things that we've allowed or lies that we've allowed the devil to speak into us. And now we start to speak these things and we're experiencing the consequences of those things. But let me take it a step further. What you say about other people, you are going to experience the consequences of, right? It says that you will experience the consequences of the things that you say. So either word or every word that you speak, whether it's it gives life or it takes life, you are going to reap the consequences of those words. So now let's flip over to the book of James, right? James, while you're turning there, James is the half-brother of Jesus. His book is also considered wisdom literature. And, and James, what we know about James is that James actually didn't follow Jesus till after the resurrection. And I was thinking about that. Can you imagine how hard it would be to convince your brother that you're the Savior of the world, right? Like, I know what it's like to convince my little brother of things, but can you imagine trying to convince somebody that you're the Savior of the world? Or can you imagine what a daily life, what the daily life was like for in James? You know, I imagine Mary's hanging out at the house and Jesus and James come home maybe from school and, and Mary goes, hey, James, how was your day? And James is like, you know what, mom? It was good. I built a table, worked with dad. I got an A on my test. Today was a good day. And Jesus, she goes, hey, Jesus, how was your day? And Jesus goes, you know, not a big deal. I just saved the world, right? Can you imagine how hard it would be to be James? Well, James will dedicate half a chapter to focusing on words. And there's really two things that I want you to catch from this text. So James chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pirate, the pilot directs. Now, I personally love how he starts this out because he says this. He says, if you don't stumble in how you speak, you are mature. Like maturity is found in how we talk. Maturity is not found in knowledge, right? It's found in speech. See, we've got people all over the world that think that they are mature because they've been following Jesus for X amount of years, but the gospel has never changed their life or they haven't changed anything, right? But they're like, well, I said this prayer X amount of years ago. Or we think that we've got people that are spiritually or people that think that they're spiritually mature because they can memorize a whole bunch of scripture, right? That doesn't make you mature. It just means you're really good at memorizing. It's not about you know, right? It's not about memorization. Spiritual maturity is found in application. And James says, listen, if you can control how you talk, he takes it a step further. He says, you can control your whole body. Now, the first thing I think that we can see from this text is that words direct our lives. Say words matter. Words matter, right? So James, to get this point across, he's going to use two illustrations or two examples. One is a bit in the mouth of a horse, right? And I'm sure you know what horses are. We've been, at, we're in Texas, right? That's what we're uh, assumed to know all about. Uh, just to let you into my life, I don't like horses a whole lot I, 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 as far as riding them because I don't like animals bigger than me, right? I'm not a tall guy, don't like horses. But horses are these big, strong animals and a bit is this small thing in the mouth of a horse that will apply pressure. And it will always apply the pressure that the rider puts on it. So because of the bit in the mouth of the horse, the horse is going to turn in the direction that the rider sends it. The other analogy is a ship with a rudder, 
right? Despite circumstances, despite waves and everything that comes against it, the rudder steers the ship in the direction of the pilot or captain. Now, here's what I want us to see. The bit is a small thing and the rudder is a small thing, but they're not making decisions on their own. The bit responds to the rider. The rudder responds to the pilot or captain. What does that tell us? Your tongue doesn't have a mind of its own. It actually responds to something. So I think the next question is, so what does my tongue respond to? It responds to your heart. Jesus said it this way. He says, what comes out of your mouth flows from your heart. So the things that I'm saying or the things that are steering my life, because remember, words direct our lives. My life is going in the direction of my most frequent words, and those are the things that I've allowed in my heart. So I want to ask you this question. Is it possible that you are where you are because of the words that you use the most? Like if I look at my life and my life, everything that I see is negative. Is it possible because all I speak are negative things? Or I'm bitter because all I speak are bitter things? Or maybe the opposite side of it. Maybe people look at me and they see joy and they see hope and they see peace. Is it possible that I'm walking in those things because that's everything that I communicate? Because that's what the the Bible says. Because remember that proverb, Proverbs 18, 21 says, you will taste its fruit or you will experience the consequences. Now, here's what I love about the analogy uh, of the ship is it mentions wind, right? Sometimes the wind comes against it. That is opposition, right? There's opposition. So even in the midst of opposition, the rudder is still directing the ship. So here's a question I want to ask you. What if the secret to progressing through hard times is the words that you say? What if the secret to making it through the valley is speaking the truth that the Bible tells us to speak? Because let's just be honest. Like right now, life is hard. There's, what, 40 million people that have lost their jobs. Life is hard financially for people. COVID has been a big thing. People are terrified. People are afraid. Right now, there's racial tension. Life is just hard. And if we are speaking death or we're speaking uh, hopelessness, then that, then that may be why we're stuck where we are. But maybe we, we dive into the Word and we find out that we have hope because of the finished work of the cross. That we have life because Jesus is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. And we have joy because we know how the story ends. You know, last Monday was Memorial Day or two Mondays ago was Memorial Day, and we, me and my wife, we like to work out. We have this gym in Panhandle called Panhandle Fitness. And at this gym, they were like, all right, we're going to do the Murph workout, right? If you don't know what Murph is, Murph is a workout named after a soldier. And this soldier used to run a mile, do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and then he would run another mile. All of this with a 20-pound vest on. This guy was an absolute stud. I'm going to let you into my life. I don't like to run. The reason I don't like to run is because the Bible says that the wicked run when nobody's chasing them. Your boy does not like to run. So I talked to my wife, and we're like, hey, we're going to make this a team workout. We're going to cut it in half. We go and do the workout. We're halfway through that workout, uh, we, or we, we get all the way through the run, we get through the pull-ups, our arms are killing us, we get into push-ups, I'm nervous, I did chest that morning, and we get a little bit over halfway through all the push-ups, and I start to notice my wife doing something, she's in the middle of it, we're doing, we're alternating in sets of 10, she's getting to about 7, she's like, alright, Alexis, I've got 3 more, 
two more. Okay, we've got two more sets. She starts positively speaking into her situation. Her situation is she's tired and she can't really feel her arms at this moment, but she's encouraging herself, letting her know that there's so much more inside of her. And I'm here to tell somebody that you have so much more inside of you that you can go further and you can speak life into your situation. You got to remember that even though weapons may be formed against you, that they will not prosper, that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is inside of you. So I'm here to tell somebody, don't give up. Start to declare the truths that the Bible speaks over you. And I promise you that you'll make it through the storm, that you'll make it through the storm. You are walking in the culture of your most frequent words. And here's what I want to tell you is if you don't like it, change what you say. You have that ability. You have that capacity. If you don't like what it looks like around you, start changing the words that you frequently use. James will continue in verse 5. He says, so too, the tongue is very small part of the body. It boasts of great things. What this means is that the tongue has the capacity to do a whole lot of good and a whole lot of bad. It says, consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Let's jump down to verse 8. It says, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I think the second thing that James is trying to show us about the tongue is that words cause damage. Everybody turn to your neighbor say, words matter, or comment down below. Say, words matter. Again, he's going to use two examples. He uses, uh, depending on your translation, it will either say a small fire or a spark. And he talks about how this, all it takes is a spark to eliminate something that's full of life, right? A forest, a large forest is a place where there's, there's you know, nature is growing, animals are living, things are, are thriving, forests, trees represent life. And he says all it takes is a spark to ruin all of that. Now, I was reading through the book of Proverbs one day and stumbled across Proverbs 11, 11, and this isn't going to pop up, but this is what it says. It says that cities are built up by the blessing of the upright, right? But it says this, it follows up and it says, but they're destroyed by the words of the wicked. Think about that. Like places of life are, are built up by the blessings of the upright. These are things that we do, right? Whether it's generosity, whether it's serving, we build up cities by loving people, right? By the things that we do. But it says this, but they are destroyed by the things that people say. They are destroyed by the divisive things that people say, by the destructive things that people say. And one of the things that I asked our church, and I, and I want to ask you the same thing, is, is it possible that we've got as far as we can as a community because of the words that we keep using, right? Is it possible that we've stalemated ourselves because of the words that are most frequently coming out of our mouth, right? He says a, a spark destroys, a small spark destroys something that is so full of life. And the other example was he uses a deadly poison. And what I understand about poison is that poison takes life, right? Ultimately, poison steals, kills, and destroys. Now, what I want you to see is both analogies take time. Um, a, 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 anytime a spark is lit, a fo the, the forest isn't destroyed immediately. It doesn't just disappear. And when poison, you know, I think about being bit by a rattlesnake. If I get bit by a rattlesnake, I don't die instantly. The poison's got to circulate through my system. And what you need to understand is that words do the same thing. Words don't steal, kill, and destroy immediately. They will circulate through people's systems and they will start to steal, kill, and destroy. Think about it, right? Think about the time that somebody said something hurtful to you, 
right? And, and maybe you grew up and, and you heard the whole, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? I, to me, that's a lie. It's a huge lie. And what happens is we teach our kids that and then they never really learn how to get over those negative and dead things that people speak over them or those poisonous things that people speak over them. So what happens is they never deal with it and they never get off of it, uh, get it off of them or they never replace it with the truth from, from God, you know. So it stays in their life and all of a sudden it starts to reappear. And they start to remember that time that somebody said that thing. And then they start to believe it because they never got it out of them. And because they start to believe it, it starts to change the way that they think. It starts to change the way that they act. It even starts to change the way that they talk. And eventually it gets to this point where it still kills and destroys from people. See, this is what the Bible says, is it says that words can be like a deadly poison or the tongue can be like a deadly poison. And here's what I wanna tell you, is that if it has the capacity to be a poison, I also believe that a redeemed tongue has the capacity to be the antidote. I believe that we, as the body of Christ, should be distributing healing words all across our, our community, all across our churches, all across our community, all across our cities, all across our states, all across our nation. I think that everywhere that there is a poisonous word or, or a lie that is declared or spoken over somebody, that we, as the body of Christ, should be quick to say, no, that is not the truth. That is not what God says. That is not what God says about you. That is not what God says about the future that, or about God's plan. That is not true. We have the capacity to be the antidote to poisonous words. So I want to jump to verse 9 as we get ready to close. Verse 9, James says this. He says, With the tongue we bless our Father, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth, my brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. You know, James is the head of the church in Jerusalem. So when I see this in the text, I, th I think he's addressing something. I think what he's got going on in his church is that people are praising God. They're raising their hands. Man, praise God. Praise Jesus in the church when they're together. But when they leave the church, they're actually bad-mouthing each other, right? They're, they're talking bad about each other. And the reason that this, I think this hits me the hardest is he says, with the same mouth, you praise God and you curse people. It all comes out of the same place. It comes out of my, my mouth. And if we want to take it even further, it comes out of my heart. And maybe you're on the other side of this. You're like, but Matt, you don't know what they did to me. Or you don't know what they said about me. And the truth is you're right. I don't. But I also know that the Bible says that the battle's not against flesh and blood. And many of us are hurt because we're listening to the wrong voices, right? Just because the voice is loud doesn't mean that it's the right voice, right? The Bible, when it talks about the devil, it says that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. He's loud. But then I often think about the story where Jesus talks or God talks to Elijah in the cave. And it says that this windstorm comes and separates the mountains, but God wasn't in that. This firestorm comes, God wasn't in that. This earthquake comes, God wasn't in that. But God came and spoke to him in a whisper. You know why I think God whispers? Because the whispers of God are more, are stronger than any roar of the lion. The lion is defeated. The lion is toothless and God is with us. Now here's something that I want you to think about though. I'm talking to you about words that are said to you. James is talking about words that you use. And he makes it, he takes it even a bit further. He doesn't say, hey, you praise God and curse people. He defines them. He says, with it, we praise God and we curse those who are made in God's likeness. 
Now, going back to creation, if you think about it, Adam and Eve were made in what? In God's what? Image and his likeness. This commentary I read said this. It says, to verbally attack another human being is to attack God because they're made in his image and in his likeness. So when we come in to places of worship and we worship God and we, we're, man, we sing praises to him, but when we leave and we talk trash on, on other people, we are actually contradicting ourselves. And we wonder why the lost aren't running to churches, right? Because we say one thing when we're together and we're a whole different person when we're apart, right? We're contradicting or we're being hypocritical in the, the things that we say. But what happens if our praise inside the church matches our words outside the church? What happens if the things that we're singing about God and, and singing about what God says about us becomes the thing that we speak over people out in the world? You know what I mean? Now we're being a light out in the world. So just right where you are, I want to give you two practical things to think about. The first one is be reflective. Be reflective. Ask this question. Am I where I am because of what I've said and how I've spoken? For me, when I started following Jesus, the very first thing that changed in my life was how I spoke. Um, I was, a, I was in, in school. I was in high school and I got saved and uh, every word out of my mouth was a cuss word. It, it wasn't the light ones either. It was pretty, they were pretty, pretty bad. And I started dating this girl who loved Jesus, and, and she asked me the really hard question. She, she came up to me. She goes, Matt, why do, you, why do you talk that way? Never thought about it, right? Many of the times we don't even think about the words that we say. They're just so ingrained in us that we just never confronted them or asked the question, why? So I started to think about it. And the only reason I was using those words is because I wanted to be cool. Right? And how many of you know sometimes cool wants to steal your destiny? Cool will rob from your purpose. I think it's wise for us to be reflective and say, hey, am I in my current state? Because of the things that keep coming out of my mouth. And if I don't like where I am, listen, you can change what you say. The second one is ask the question is, have I caused damage to other by the words that I've said, that I've texted, that I've tweeted, or I've posted? And here's what I want to tell you. If you have, go apologize. Go Say sorry. Like, I think many of us, we, we don't get things right with other people because we feel like somebody else owes us an apology, right? Well, Matt, they said it first. It's a good thing that wasn't Jesus' perspective, right? It's a good thing Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, I'm not going to go to the cross to you apologize for flogging me, to you apologize for spitting on me, for, uh, to you apologize for mocking me, to you apologize for putting this crown of thorns on my head. I'm not going to the cross till then. No, Jesus was the front runner. Jesus was the leader. And I think we as the church need to recognize when we've thrown out poison and go deliver the antidote. We need to be leaders and run out to people and apologize for the things that we've done wrong. Listen, if you are waiting for somebody else to apologize and your perspective is like, man, listen, I, they owe me an apology. Apologies. They owe me that. That's entitlement. And the truth is, is you can't be entitled and thankful at the same time. You can't be entitled and thankful at the same time. If you've hurt somebody, if you've distributed poison, understand you have the antidote. Go and apologize. But here's what I want us to see and to think about. Last point, I promise. We experience life because of words. Words that we read in the Bible. And I'm here to tell you that you are called to distribute life by the words that you say. So I just want to pray with you real quick and just cause us to think about it. Man, am I speaking life? Am I changing people's lives? Because the truth is you never know how far an encouraging word is going to take somebody's life. 
You never know that that time that you go to a restaurant and the waiter's been struggling with something. Maybe they've prayed. I've heard stories where, where people have prayed, man, God, if you are with me, show me. And somebody spoke life over that person and saved them from taking their life that evening. You never know what your words can do. So dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this time, God. And we thank you that it is in your word that we have life. And because of the life in your word that we get to distribute those words, God. I pray right now that if there is bitterness, hopelessness, discontentment, anger, hatred in our heart, that you would remove those things and replace them with joy, replace them with hope, replace them with life, replace them with excitement, replace them with anticipation about the things that you want to do in the city church and in the city of loving. God, we thank you so much for this time to worship you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.